I was going to open us by reading from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, some verses uh, that many of you are familiar with. Some of you might have these memorized. And then I was going to open us up in prayer and then review what we talked about um, before we jump in uh, to today. So, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Again, many of you are familiar with these verses, but think about these verses in light of anxiety, in light of worry, okay? In light of fear. This is God's Word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You uh, again, as we said yesterday, for the treasure of Your Word. It is such a gift. It is such a comfort to us. Uh, Lord, to have uh, truth uh, that we know You wrote, uh, spoken into hearts uh, that are deceiving themselves, um, hearts that are poisoned with sin. God, it, this, is, this is truly a treasure that our finite minds cannot comprehend. Um, because all of us in this room um, have sinful hearts, and since we woke up this morning, uh, we've been listening to the lies of our hearts. And so we thank You that we can uh, read something that we know is true and can realign our thinking and can remind us uh, that we can trust in You, that You are trustworthy, that You are all-powerful, You are completely good, um, and so we can trust You. And we pray that You would give us the grace to not lean on our own understanding. Uh, when, When worries and fears and stress come into our lives, Uh, that we can push back against that and cling to uh, You uh, because You are are good. Uh, Father, be with us now. I know everyone in this room is is weary. I pray that we'd be able to hear from Your Word. I pray that You would uh, help us as we think more specifically about uh, the the worries and the fears of this world. Uh, I pray that You would um, help us as as we talk about pain, as we talk about suffering. Uh, to be able to be sobered by that reality, but to still have encouragement in the midst of a sobering topic. Uh, It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Alright, so just a quick review. What are some of the things we talked about yesterday? I know this is a big room and people are kind of spread out, but I'd love it if you raise your hands, if you ask questions, or uh, if you answer. What are some of the things that we discussed yesterday? Anyone remembers? Yes. All right, yes, we talked about where stress and anxiety began. That's right. Yes. I'm sorry, can you talk louder? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the last part. What was that? Okay, yes, that's right. We reflected on the fall because sometimes we know that we live in a sinful world, but we actually, you know, stop to reflect on just how widespread, how devastating the fall was. Yes. What was in the garden? Is that what you said? <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I can't hear very well. Yes. Um, we learned that whenever we have anxiety, that we tend to be like God. Hmm. 
That's good, yeah. Some, some very strong words, but, but oftentimes when we have fear, when we have anxiety, we're trying to play the part of God. We're trying to, to, to be in control of our own world and to control everything, every aspect of our world to guard us from anxiety. Um, I see like seven hands up, which is encouraging. Um, I don't know who is next. I'm just going to go this way and get a few more, and then we'll jump in. Yeah. That's right, yeah, where God was. We asked that question, and it can be, if I make it through this week without falling on a cord, that's going to be a miracle. Um, yeah, because it can be, um, I mean, I hope you saw that it was encouraging that God you know, hid Himself from us. Because if you read that passage, it's kind of like, okay, where, where was God in the midst of that? And we know that He's omniscient, but I wanted to be sure to communicate that clearly so there wasn't any misunderstanding so, so good. Yes. Yes, that's right. One of those two main truths, we're all hiding. Hopefully you asked yourself that question, where, where are you hiding? And reflected on that a little bit. Um, one more right here. What's that? Okay, that's right. And then, I'm sorry, you were talking at the same time too, so we'll get to you as well. We're all hiding, is that what you said? We're all afraid and we're all hiding. Yes, that's right. And just a reminder too, there's only one place to hide, as I said at the end. And if we try to hide in any other places, we're only going to uh, multiply our fears, our anxiety, our, our worries. So, so good. Um, look, today what we're going to be asking um, is why not worry? Uh, why not worry? And really kind of the, the main point of this discussion um, is to give you a theology of pain and a theology of suffering. And I'll explain what I mean by that more in just a minute. Um, but I know when it's not even 10 o'clock in the morning, you're like, oh, okay, good, we're going to talk about suffering. We're going to talk about pain. That's exciting. Thanks for that, John. I need some encouragement uh, this morning. But I I hope and I pray that even as we talk about something very sobering, um, that it it will be an encouragement. Um, Because the reality is, let's just say, okay, pain, suffering, it's not fun to talk about. So let's just not talk about it. Is it going to go away? Is the absence of discussing pain and suffering going to make it absent in your own life? No. Um, so it's, it's helpful, it's needed to talk about it, and God's Word talks about it. Um, so I'm going to have us look at Matthew chapter 6, <clears throat> verses 25-34. I referenced these sections, this section a little bit yesterday, and so we're going to talk a little bit more about it. And this is kind of the, I think, the go-to section in the Bible. Uh, when we're talking about worry, we're talking about anxiety, there's obviously plenty of other places we could turn to, um, but this is kind of the one that... that typically comes to the top. I've got it up here um, if you don't have your Bibles, but I know it's going to be hard uh, for some of you to see. Um, So this is God's Word. And just a reminder, this is Jesus Christ speaking. This is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is is the Sermon on the Mount. So this is part of uh, that. So Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, we, we mentioned this yesterday, but what does that last verse say? Does somebody want to say that loudly? Read it loudly? The very last verse? You need to start reading. Not everybody at once. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thank you. That last part, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. As I said, what that means is Jesus is telling us, listen, there is plenty to worry about in one day. Don't start thinking about tomorrow. Um, just th- There's trouble today. Uh, so d- just don't get ahead of yourself. So Jesus Christ even acknowledges there's going to be plenty for us to worry about. Um, he's not, you know, that just kind of, what, what are you guys worrying about? Just brush it to the side. Let's be happy. Let's not... No, he's acknowledging that there's plenty to be sad about. And so that's why we're, we're asking this question, why not worry? Jesus even kind of tells you, okay, there, there's reason um, to, to, uh, to, have, to be anxious. There's going to be temptation for that. Um, I want to tell you about a, a really good friend of mine. Um, this friend of mine, his name was Josh. Uh, he was one of my, say, best friends, kind of in junior high and, and high school. Um, he, he was a guy who was really popular. Um, he, he was one of those guys who never met a stranger. Uh, he, he could uh, talk to anyone. He would just strike up a conversation and um, was very well liked. And uh, Josh had a disease um, that, may, that caused him to often get infections in his lungs. And, you know, he was often coughing and often, uh, you know, seemed like he had a cold. Um, And so, you know, this disease uh, eventually took his life. Um, He made it through college and and when he was in law school, um, passed away. And uh, he he knew pretty much his whole life... um, that his life expectancy was probably early 20s, maybe late teens. Um, he knew this, you know, most of his life. Um, and so as I think about, you know, my friend Josh, I think about some questions I have that, you know, again, I was in middle school with this guy in high school, and it's kind of like some of these questions, I wish there was a way I could, could ask these uh, to him. But, you know, one of the questions I have, obviously being a father of five children, is uh, when did his parents tell him this news? Um, that, that this disease, uh, they say you can often diagnose it at the age of two. Uh, so, you know, when did his parents sit him down and say, you might not live that long? You might not live past your 20s? Um, how did they tell him that? How could they look into 
a child's eyes and, and say that to their child. Um, because again, if it's diagnosed around two, I would assume he knew this information when he was in middle school, when he was in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. Um, he knew this. Um, and so, uh, you know, I just have uh, some of those questions of, you know, how, how did he live with this? Um, again, I can remember being at his house one time, and I, I think uh, this was in high school, and he was, he was sitting at a table, and a nurse came over um, to, to his house uh, to check on him. And I was, kind of, I was kind of standing behind him. He was sitting in the chair, and she was talking to him. And she was talking about some possible medication they could, they could give him. Um, and I can't remember all the details, but the medication was going to require that he had, you know, a port put in his side. So, you know, some kind of tube that was inserted into his side that would require him to have some kind of device that would continually give him medication throughout the day. And it would require him to wear a fanny pack. Fanny packs are coming back in style. Some people have fanny packs here. In the 90s, they were not. They were not, and they're still kind of not. Um, but I remember her kind of telling, she, she set the fanny pack on the table and said, you know, you could carry it around in this. And again, I couldn't see his face, but, but I noticed, I saw some tears start to fall. And I saw him wipe his face. Um, and, and I can remember thinking, you know, um, I can guarantee you 500 people at our school would have worn fanny packs the next day at school for Josh, just so he wouldn't be the only one having a fanny pack. But I just wondered, you know, he carried this burden with him all the time. Um, that he, he carried this thought of, yeah, I might not live past my 20s. Um, and so my question is, you know, how are we as Christians to, to talk to somebody like that? Should I just go to Josh and say, hey, don't worry. You know, don't be anxious, Josh. Um, how, how are we supposed to come alongside people in the midst of their pain and suffering and be a loving, faithful friend in the midst of all of this? Um, because the reality is, yes, my, my friend you know, had this disease. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, every one of us in this room has a disease, right? Called sin. And what we live in a broken world, which means you might have said goodbye to your parents for the last time when you left to come on this trip. That's the reality, right? Even though my friend, again, had this life expectancy that was, you know, very short, uh, you know, if you're just looking at kind of the average life expectancy, we are not guaranteed tomorrow, right? We are not guaranteed that we'll make it through this day. And so we can begin living our lives like, you know, we don't, we don't think about the fact that this could happen to us, but, but that is the reality. And so that's why we need to be talking about, about pain, about suffering. And so, yeah, that, that's a extreme suffering. Obviously, death of a friend, of a loved one, um, is, is a form of affliction. Uh, that is uh, to the ultimate, to the extreme. Um, but, but then, you know, think about lesser Uh, forms of suffering and affliction that you deal with every day. Um, Here's another story that's uh, a little more, if if we'd say, kind of um, minor uh, pain, suffering. Uh, Maybe we'd put this in the awkward category, um, which awkwardness can be a form of suffering, even though sometimes it can be humorous. 
Uh, so I worked at an insurance company right out of college, and in this uh, office we all had a, kind of an instant messaging program that was just for this office where we could communicate with all the employees there. There were probably, I don't know, 500 employees, and so to, to be able to communicate to people within the office but on different floors we would do that. And I can remember, um, you know, by God's grace, uh, he had done... A lot of work on me in college through a ministry that was uh, very, uh, very significant in my life. And so as I got into this office, I was around probably six people that I got close with, and I don't think any of them were believers. And so I, I tried again by God's grace uh, to uh, to be, uh, you know, an influence or point them to Jesus Christ and point them to uh, His work in my life. This is an example of when I was not a good. Uh, Example to them. Um, there was this one girl that would often gossip and kind of stir up trouble uh, in, a, in a lot of groups. And some of my friends were talking about something that she had done, and you know, it was. I can't even remember the, the details, but it it wasn't good, and it was frustrating, and it angered a lot of us. And I was instant messaging, let's say her name is Sally, it's not. Um, and I was instant messaging one of my friends about Sally and just some of the frustrations that we had about what she was doing. And so I was replying back and I hit send and uh, my friend did not reply back and it was a while and she replied back. See, as I was talking about Sally, my mind just entered her name into the instant message. And so I said that to Sally. That was awkward, right? Okay, uh, that was painful, right? And so, yes, I had to go up and you know talk to Sally and work that through. We did, um, but that was that was really awkward. And I bring that up to say, I bet that's happened to some of you, right? Um, some of you might have uh, you, you know smartphones, and some not all of you do in this room. Maybe you've you know accidentally sent a text message to the wrong person. Um, Maybe you accidentally, you know, uh, you were having some kind of discussion or, or something and then it got leaked out to the person that you were talking about. And see, the reality is we know Scripture says we are not to gossip. We are not to talk about people behind their backs. We're to, to, to love people and treat them in the way that we would want to be treated. And, and the interesting thing is about that, like, God commands us to do that. Um, but, but what's interesting is not only when, when we do that are we... Are we sinning against God? But we end up harming ourselves when we do something like that. Because if you are a person who gossips in this room, and most of us, I would say, would struggle with that and are tempted to do that, what happens is you begin to have a paranoid heart. Because when you begin to start to talk about other people, you begin to trust other people less, and other people trust you less. Because they think, okay, if you're talking about this person like this, what are you saying about me when you're with other groups of people? And so it just creates this paranoia. And so part of the reason why God even tells us not to gossip is to protect you. Because you're going to hurt yourself. That's part of it. And so again, there's all of these... uh, We we could have so many other examples of why not worry, right? Um, what, What if... You know, you're just thinking, okay, what are these people saying about me? Okay, this is a group of people that is kind of known in my school for being gossips and being bullies and being mean. What are they saying about me when I'm not around? And so you might be anxious about that. There's all of these examples we could give. And something recently, I don't know if y'all have um, 
heard some of these statistics. This is a Time Magazine article that came out in November of 2016. Can anybody tell me what was going on in November 2016? What? Donald Trump. (laughs) The presidential election. Okay? I say that to say this. This was more newsworthy than the presidential election. That preteens and teenagers are struggling with anxiety, worry, and depression four times that of any generation in United States history. You guys and high schoolers are, are, are struggling with worry and anxiety at an increased rate that, again, we, we haven't seen. And so again, Time Magazine highlighted this. Uh, this uh, professor, Gene Twangy has done a lot of research on this iGen generation as what often uh, being referred to. But, but my question is, why? Why are you guys struggling with worry and anxiety more than any other generation? Why is this the case? What is going on with you guys that's different from other generations? There could be a lot of answers to this. But what I want to do is I want to zoom in on your life a little bit this morning. Um, We've been recording your life before this conference and we're going to play it on the screen. I'm kidding. I want to zoom in and get you to reflect on your daily lives. Um, I, I know this isn't going to be accurate for all of you, but kind of thinking about some of your schedules and some of the things that you you deal with. Um, so, looking at a student schedule, many of you, I'd say go to school, and that can be homeschool, public school, private school. Um, you got extracurriculars. Some of you might have some kind of a job, even if it's you know, not a formal employer, maybe, you know, babysitting, mowing lawns, things like that. Um, some of you are involved in different types of service. This could be through your church. This could be, I know some schools require you to have community service hours. And so all of these things, you know, yes, like school, for example, happens in a certain period of time, but even that certain period of time, um, even that certain period of time, uh, you know, there's stuff that happens before school that you have to do, you know, as well as after school, homework, things like that. And so we think of the hours that your day, um, that your days are taken up with all of these things and extracurriculars on top of that. Um, and then maybe some question marks here, family time, um, you know, we know that the dinner table doesn't exist in many people's homes anymore. We're, we're all pretty busy. We're, we're kind of spread out. So maybe you don't get a lot of time with your family. Maybe you do. Um, do you get time for just kind of fun and leisure? Uh, that is, you know, not just kind of organized activity, but just kind of activity to kind of do what you want to do. Um, church is a question mark as well. That um, Sometimes we can get so busy that church becomes kind of an optional thing to us. And without a doubt, we can look at a church and say, sometimes the church organizes so much that, that the church can be part of the problem for creating some of the busyness um, in, your, in your schedules. All right, so I'd say that you know most of this would describe most of your lives, and yes, this is the external schedule of your life. But what I want to do is I want to zoom in to the internal schedule. Okay, and what I mean is I want to look at kind of the um, the mental, the emotional, and kind of the, the physical of your of your schedule. So kind of get down in in a heart level. Um, and there, there's going to be a lot of overlap in these these categories. But as we bring up school. And to think of the, the mental and the emotional toll that school takes on you. That many of you have this pressure 
to keep a certain GPA, right? That you, you want to get into a certain college, you want to get a scholarship, or you need to get a scholarship, and you need to be challenged. That's a good thing, okay? It is good to be in a class that is mentally challenging, that pushes you, that challenges you. But to also think about, that's going to create stress in your life, okay? And part of this is just natural. You're becoming an adult, okay? And so some of the anxiety, some of the stress, some of the worry is actually teaching you to be an adult and to deal with more as you become older. But school is going to to stress you. Extracurricular sports. Look, extracurricular activities, not just sports. Um, Sports, for example, can be a very good thing. They are a gift from God because our bodies don't belong to us. God gave them to us as a gift. And so we are to steward the bodies that God has given us. Sports can assist with that. Um, There's all sorts of great life experiences you can learn from sports. Um, Sometimes I think we can overhype that because all of life is a life experience. You can learn life experiences from just living in your house, um, from interacting with people at school. Um, Do y'all hear music? This is funny. Um, This thing just started playing. And I don't know who this is. I don't know if I'm going to mess this up. Can y'all hear that out there? Um, I don't mind having this playing in the background, but uh, that might be kind of distracting. Uh, here we go. Um, there we go. Just turn it down. Okay. Extracurriculars. Yes, yeah, so they, they can be a good thing, but you've got to know that the physical toll they can take is going to stress you out and it's going to exhaust you. Okay? That Get this. I, I was looking this up. Uh, the amount of rest that some professional athletes get. Do you know who Roger Federer is? Um, For the longest time, he was the number one tennis player in the world. He's still playing at a fairly high level. Um, He gets about 11 to 12 hours of sleep a night. It's insane. Um, Usain Bolt, do you know Usain Bolt? Fastest man, I guess we can say fastest human on the planet. He gets about 8 to 10 hours of sleep a night. LeBron James gets 12 hours of sleep a night. Um, sleep specialists say preteens and teenagers need to get about 8 to 10 hours of sleep a night. Um, so just, <laughs> but you make up for that when you come to RYM, right? Because all of you are getting about 8 to 10 hours of sleep while you're here. Um, but just to think about that, listen, if you're a stressed person, if you're an anxious person, person just asking that question, how much sleep are you getting? Um, especially if you're playing a sport, it's just common sense. Your body has to repair itself. Your body has to rest. You have to get physical rest. And so thinking of just the stress that that can cause. Um, think of relationships. Just think of all of the relationships. Relationships with your parents. Relationships with your coaches and teachers. There are good coaches and there are bad coaches. There are good teachers and bad teachers. I can remember one coach screaming at me. Um, I was playing football and he gave me my locker combination and I could not unlock it and I had to go back to him three times to ask him the combination and he just lost it and screamed at me in front of the entire team, humiliating. And it turns out he had given me the wrong combination. And he never even realized it. I saw the notepad and I realized he gave the wrong combination to me. It wasn't even my fault. And he screamed at me in front of everybody. Never resolved that. He never realized he gave it to me. And guess what? I never talked to my parents about it. 
And so I was walking around with this embarrassment, with this kind of just, I mean, again, it was a lot of guilt and shame just from that one event in my life, and I never talked to my parents about it. And so just thinking about your lives, what kind of relational issues are you dealing with, are you walking around with, that are creating stress in your life, that are creating anxiety in your life? Um, this could be you know, your family environment. Um, as I've said, sadly, some of you may be in broken homes to where when you walk in the front door, it's just anxiety and worry just, just hits you as you walk in. And again, that's going to take its toll. Um, uh, we think about uh, other relationships, um, relationships that hopefully pastors in your life, youth pastors. Um, you know, I've done about 15 years of student ministry and I often had to confront students in their sin. I had to rebuke students for living in a sinful way. Um, and that created stress for me. <laughs> it's not fun to just confront somebody, but it obviously created stress in students' lives as well. And something important to bring up here is, is your conscience. Um, this is, I know many of you are aware of your conscience, but we, we need to realize that the conscience is a gift from God. That the Scriptures tell us that the Lord has given us a conscience. And I think this is an important thing for us to realize, and, and please hear, hear me carefully, that if you are involved in a quote-unquote secret sin, um, your conscience is going to make you anxious. Your conscience is going to stress you out. Your conscience is going to make you worry. Because John Trapp, first night, what did the guy say when he tackled the guy on the motorcycle? God sees everything. That's what I said, quote-unquote secret sins. God sees it all. And so, if you're just indulging in a sin behind closed doors, that is going to create this turmoil in your heart. Um, and, you know, this can kind of get into more of a godly sorrow category. I would not say that's necessarily anxiety, worry, stress. It's more of a godly sorrow. But the dangerous thing that Scripture tells us is that you can sear your conscience. That is, you can indulge in sin for such a long period of time that your conscience will stop talking to you. That your conscience will just give you over to your sin. And so the conscience is a gift to say, stop doing what you're doing. Run to your parents and confess your sin. Confess your sin to pastors. Get it out in the open. Confess it first and foremost to God, shining a light on it, asking Him for strength to fight against it. And look, we're going to wrestle with sin our entire lives. I'm not saying you're going to get to a point to where you just have you know, overcome this, this sin in your life. Yes, by God's grace, you can overcome certain sins in your life to where you're just not dealing with those as much. Um, but, but to see how the conscience is going to, to speak into that. Look, even looking at friendships, and no need to move on a little bit more quickly, but, but friendships, listen, even the best friends fight from time to time. And the reality is, if a friend is a good friend, you're probably going to have some confrontation. Because a, a friend who actually loves you will confront you. And no one likes confrontation unless they're psychotic. It's not fun. Right? And yes, we're supposed to do it with humility and wisdom, but if you see a friend that's harming themselves, you need to, need to confront them. 
And the Scriptures tell us to. And look, enemies and bullies, I put that on there. Sometimes we don't like to label people as enemies. That can just sound really harsh. But I think we need to realize there are more enemies in our life than, than, we, than we think at times. Um, there are people that make your lives miserable. And of course, all of these relational issues, they are going to create all sorts of stress in your life. So look, here's another Time Magazine article, and I'm not going to get too detailed on this, but this was about Barbie. It said, now can we stop talking about my body? Um, I don't know if any of you are aware, but uh, they have different body types for Barbie now. Did y'all know, who, did y'all know that? Anybody out here know that? Um, that for a while, it was just kind of, you know, Barbie had this one body type, and so people were saying, okay, you're... you're putting out this unrealistic expectations of what body should look like. And so Barbie has released different, uh, different body types, okay? And so look, body image is going to be something that creates stress, anxiety, worry for every one of you. I mean, you live in a world that never, ever stops talking about your body. From television... Instagram, billboards, magazine aisles at every single store that you go down. You cannot escape this. And I loved again what John Trapp said the other night of just our identity does not lie in our physical appearance. Your physical appearance will not give you ultimate happiness. That, you know, we can think, okay, whatever this image is that the culture is kind of putting forth, okay, this is, quote-unquote, beauty. Alright? And what, what you need to realize, if, if you're trying to look like this model, okay, males and females, if you're trying to look like this standard of beauty, and that's your identity, what happens when you get in a, a disfiguring car accident? That identity is taken from you. Yeah. Now, what, what happens when you get in some kind of uh, accident that, that injures you to such a degree that you, know, you cannot exercise anymore and you cannot maintain that body type? That's why you cannot put your identity in your body image. But you're living in a culture that is telling you that's where your worth lies. It's a lie. And you've got to continue to push back against that. By God's grace, pray against that because it is, just again, a 24-7 uh, communication that's, that's uh, it's being communicated to you. Uh, guilt and shame coming along with that. Okay. That you're, you're dealing with so much guilt and so much shame so often and then also doubt. Now, that many of you, if, you, if you've grown up you know, in the Christian faith, at times you're just thinking, do I really believe what my pastors teach? Do I really believe what the Bible is saying? So sometimes you can be wrestling with some of those very serious, the most serious questions of life. And so asking the question again, why not worry? I mean, look at this list again. Thinking about your own life, thinking of the busyness, the physical fatigue, lack of sleep, relational tension, just the the sin that uh, permeates through all of this, the conscience, emotional pressure, guilt and shame. You're going to be anxious, right? I mean... Again, this list is probably going on in all of your hearts and minds. And so again, we need a theology of pain. Because worry and anxiety are a form of pain. They're a form of affliction. So what do you think I mean by theology of pain? What do you think I mean by that? Yes? What's that? Okay, emotional pain. 
What do y'all think I mean by theology of pain and suffering? What does theology mean? Yes? It means like um, God uses the pain to teach mm-hmm. more about it. Okay? That's good. Like, God uses pain to teach us about it. And so having a theology of pain is, is basically just looking at the Bible and saying, okay, what does the Bible teach us about pain? What does the Bible tell us? How, how does the Bible tell us to deal with pain? Um, and, and what you need to see is that, as, as many have pointed out, you are a theologian. Okay? If you're in middle school, okay, if you're going into high school, Every human on the face of the earth is a theologian. That means everyone has thoughts about God. Even the atheist has a theology, if you want to say it that way. And what, what, what I mean by that when I say you're a theologian, you're doing theology every day of your life, whether you realize it or not. So when pain and suffering comes into your life, you're doing theology. You're going to be thinking about this pain and suffering through some kind of theological category. And so, how are you interpreting your pain? How are you interpreting your suffering? What sort of theological framework do you have to deal with this? And and the reality is, so much, and I know I need to to hurry a little bit through this, um, so I might be kind of rushed, Uh, but the reality is, we want heaven now. That I'll go ahead and bring this up. That we have this knowledge in our hearts of the garden, okay? What life was like when it was perfect, and of glory, the life that, that's to come. Because every one of us in here has a soul that will never die. And your soul has this knowledge of the garden and this knowledge of glory. So listen, whenever pain and suffering comes into your life, your knee jerk response is I want this to go away now, I want it to stop. And that's normal and that's good because your soul is saying, I was not made for this. I was not made for suffering. I was not made for pain. And so we want this to stop as quickly as we can. Uh, But not only that, and this is something Paul David Tripp says, he, he says we suffer in our thinking about suffering. Because we are sinful, we often misinterpret the suffering that we're going through. We don't even know how to, to think about our suffering properly. And so this is, again, why we need to have some kind of theological category of dealing with pain, dealing with suffering. And it's something we'll talk about in more detail uh, tomorrow a little bit. But I wanted to quickly... How many of you saw the new Avengers movie I asked you the other day? Avengers Endgame? Okay. I'm not going to have any major spoilers here. Um, but, but what was interesting about this movie, and if you didn't see Infinity War, it's been over a year, so I'll spoil that. Everyone died in it. Um, just kidding. <laughs> that, that Some people disintegrated and turned to dust. Okay, we'll say after the, the snap. Okay. Um, not, not really everybody, I'm exaggerating a little bit. But what was interesting about this newest uh, Avengers Endgame was the theme of grief, the theme of pain, the theme of suffering. That, that was such a major theme in this movie, and we, as believers, should resonate with that. Because it was interesting to think about like what every character did with their pain and suffering. Captain America kind of started a, again, these aren't major spoilers really, but a self-help kind of program where they sat around and they just tried to kind of give advice to how do they deal with uh, the loss in their life. Um, How do they deal with their suffering and just kind of have this positive self-help. And Captain America even says he doesn't even believe it, but he was telling them that. That's how he dealt with grief. Um, 
Black Widow, she just kept herself busy. She just kept working because she did not want to think about all of the pain and the suffering of those that, that she lost. Hawkeye, he took justice into his own hands, right? Because so much hurt went on in his life, he just wanted to punish evil as much as he could. And so he just went on a killing rampage to try to deal with his grief and suffering. Now, when you think of Thor, I mean, they, they put it in a humorous way. Thor became an alcoholic. Okay, and it was the way they portrayed it was, was funny, but he just became an alcoholic to distract himself from pain. He just did not want to think about it. Um, and then lastly, Tony Stark, he just tried to hide. He tried to escape. He had his family and just got away because he wanted to try to protect himself and his family from any kind of pain, any kind of suffering. And what is interesting in the movie is none of it worked for any of them. It was not a solution to their pain and to their suffering. And so that is that, that was a positive theme in the movie. Um, that none of it works. They didn't necessarily give us a good answer. Uh, but again, we, we, because of the Scriptures, we do have an answer of how to deal with our pain and suffering. And so, uh, first and foremost, it's vital to have this theology of suffering. And I'm starting to wrap up because I know we have uh, about two minutes. Um, it's vital for, for life in a fallen world. Uh, but, but first and foremost, while it's important for us to have a th- theology of pain and suffering, um, is because it, it teaches us about our relationship to God, first and foremost, and how we, were be, being, how we are to relate to God. And again, that's what I said I'll zoom in on more tomorrow. But it also helps us in the midst of you know, dealing with our anxiety and, and suffering. But that is kind of a first step of how to deal with this, is by having some kind of theology about it. But, but as we answer this question, why not worry? Um, the first answer is, well, simply, Jesus told us not to. Okay? I know that's the obvious answer. The second obvious answer, but sometimes I don't think we stop to really think about this. And this is something Tim Lane brings up. Why you shouldn't worry? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Jesus Christ said that in Matthew 6, if you remember. He said, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his or her span of life? Jesus Christ is just very obviously saying it's not going to help you. So again, first and foremost, Jesus tells you why you shouldn't worry. Because of God and His kingdom and His glory. But secondly, Jesus is telling you not to worry because you're going to hurt yourself. You will harm yourself. The more you feed your anxiety, the more you feed your worry, the more you will destroy yourself. And so we need to see, as I said yesterday, when Jesus commands us not to worry, that can actually make us worry. But what we need to see, He's doing that because He loves us. First and foremost, He loves His Father and He cares about His glory. But secondly, He cares about you. And He's trying to protect you from harming yourself. Okay? So I know we need to wrap this up, but just remember tomorrow we're going to give, I think it's about seven uh, points.
points of how we can start to deal with our anxiety and our suffering. But again, a theology of pain is one step in the right direction of how we start to deal with this. Let me close this in prayer and then I'll send you guys out because the next group is coming in. Father, we thank You again for the treasure of Your Word. We thank You for the wisdom that it gives us. Um, Father, this is a sobering truth. We live in a broken world that is filled with all sorts of affliction. I pray that that reality would not um, move us to this fearful anxiety and worry, uh, that we would see that because You are a loving Father, You give us a book that prepares us for how to live life in a fallen world. Um, I pray that You would encourage us, that You would continue to sharpen us in our understanding of, of how we are to live in this broken world. And I pray that we would strive by Your Spirit uh, to live in, our way that is, live in a way that is focused on Your kingdom as Christ uh, commanded in this Matthew 6 passage. It's in His name we pray. Amen.